This is Defenders TV Podcast, Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 8, a.k.a. Camera Friendly. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to this episode of Defenders TV Podcast. We're on episode 230, where we are looking into everything about Jessica Jones, episode 8 of season 3, aka Camera Friendly. Yes, uh, Jessica gets in front of the camera and, well, maybe she's not that friendly. <laughs> but we are your friendly hosts here on Defenders TV Podcast. I am one of them, John. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And rounding out the beautiful trio, I'm Chris. Yes, we have a full roster of our Defenders TV podcast crew here. Not just me this time, <laughs> leading everybody through the episodes. We've got both of our guys back, and one of our team have seen Spider-Man Far From Home. Yes, Chris. Who? Who? Which one <laughs> Lucky of you? Ducky. Uh, yes, I, I was very lucky to get uh, a, some preview access mm-hmm. um, to Far From Home, and... Boy, boy, oh, it's a good one, boys. It's it's a good, one. it's a good. But one. no spoilers, exactly. So I'm not going to say anything else until a spoiler filled review. Um, but I highly recommend everyone go see it. Excellent, excellent, good stuff. Yeah. Looking really forward to it. Bit of Mysterio and the final episode in our season of Shield uh, podcast that we've been doing because Nick Fury has been in every single Marvel movie this year. So uh, our Shield series will be finishing with that one. Looking forward to that. Yeah, good stuff. Um, finishing off uh, our summer of Shield. Indeed, I cannot wait for autumn and winter at this stage. <laughs> it is so so warm here at yeah. the moment. Uh, heading over thirty degrees already mm-hmm. at eleven o'clock in the morning. Um, and yes, dare I say it? I could be podcasting in the nud, uh, fellow defenders. <laughs> uh, it really is that warm he's not i promise fellow defenders <laughs> but yes this is exactly like we mentioned on the last episode in episode seven we may have to take a break during this episode to get some more water and to open the windows and to uh maybe run outside in the wind because we are in a hot box right now <laughs> yes before we burst into flames uh remember you can get our hot podcasts over on tv podcast industries pop on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and you can Sign up to any drunk or sober podcast player of your choice. Mm-hmm. And of course, for all things Jessica Jones, uh, you can as well leave a voicemail over on the website as well. Up to 90 seconds of your thoughts, as well as sending uh, emails through to feedback at com. Right, guys, I think before we all pass out on with our spoiler-filled review. <laughs> this is going to be a long episode if we're going to pass out at the start of it. <laughs> Absolutely. But Derek, what are some of the episode details? This is a true Defenders alumni episode. We have the episode written by Scott Reynolds, another Dexter alum, along with Melissa Rosenberg. Um, he's worked on five episodes of Jessica Jones already, and we have one more from him before the end of the season. Uh, he's also written two episodes of Iron Fist and two episodes of The Ill-Fated Inhumans. So... Uh, some great work from Scott over the years uh, on these episodes of Jessica Jones. Definitely, yeah. And some great work on Iron Fist as well. But another major alum on the show, uh, Stephen Sergic, directing this episode. Not only has he directed at least one episode of Daredevil, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, The Punisher, The Fenders, and Jessica Jones before, he's also directed some of our other favourite shows as well. He's done um, Gifted, he's done Runaways, he's done Lost in Space, and uh, Umbrella Academy over on Netflix as well. 
Yeah, he's a great director, and hence why he is in uh, such demand on not only these Marvel Netflix shows, but、mm. also a whole host of other shows as well.、Yeah. Absolutely, and this is the last. Direction from Steven Sergic on the Marvel Netflix show, so I'm glad they were able to get him back for the final season of Defenders on Netflix as well. Yeah, no, especially I loved his work recently on、um, Umbrella Academy,、mm-hmm. so it's nice to have him here. It's actually more; it's better than nice. It's nice to have the, both Steven and Scott here. Final season, kind of doing what they did best、um, with Melissa, obviously steering the ship.、Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it was great to have them on board for at least one more episode. Yep, definitely great to have them back, John. Do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. After the grisly events in Wappinger, Salinger posts a video to Jessica teasing his next crime that will take place at seven p.m. Jessica recruits Trish to help look for the victim while contacting Costa to check Salinger's apartment. They find a decoy hired to watch over his home, so Jessica responds to Salinger with her own media play to taunt him as she destroys his apartment and his precious trophies. Meanwhile, Jerry demands that Malcolm identify the masked woman who broke into her law firm as she wages war against superpowered vigilantes, even Jessica Jones, if she gets in the way. As time ticks away, Jessica and Trish believe they have uncovered the identity of Salinger's next victim, Mona Lee of GT Agrochemical. But as 7 p.m. comes and goes, Salinger shows up at his apartment, apparently clean of any wrongdoing. As Jessica heads back to Alias Investigations and Trish goes over to her mother's apartment, a dreadful realization dawns on Jessica. As Trish arrives at her mother's, she finds her murdered, bleeding out, taped to a chair. As Trish races to Salinger's apartment to kill him, Jessica rushes to stop her. This episode should just have been called WTF. I think.、Um, yeah, absolutely. Didn't we have an episode called WTF? I think we did. Well, we definitely had WWJD, wasn't it? Which is what would Jessica do? So close, but definitely this episode is out is a WTF and a real surprising ending, big time. Did anybody move on to episode nine? I have to ask the question because this is their first major cliffhanger in Jessica Jones. No. Well、no, me neither. Very, very tempted though.、Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I was permitted to watch episodes seven and eight, so I'd already had a back to back of、uh, Jessica Jones. So, yeah, really tempted though because absolutely that final scene is just、um, well, that those final moments is, is just oh my goodness. And that's one of the big players here in this uh, story uh, that has just been sliced. And diced. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's such a strange way to leave it. We've talked about this type of thing for like two hundred thirty episodes,、uh-huh. where it's like Netflix know and understand that last five second rule of a show,、mm-hmm. where it's like we need you to binge to the next. We want you to click, not click anything, and just go on to the next episode. <laughs> so that scene alone. Had me wavering. Oh yes, oh yes. And like even the way they slow down. So I have to give props where props due. Stephen being able to just slow the camera down slightly where Jessica's jumping over the couch,、mm-hmm. and it's just that choice alone, while slowing down then the just the pure hatred and bloodlust in Trisha's eyes.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely.、And、that was your five seconds. That was literally. It didn't. You didn't need anything else. What's going to happen? Absolutely. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. 
<laughs> but the good news is, the quicker we get through our discussion of episode eight, the quicker we get to find out what happens to Dorothy Walker in episode nine. Let's get on to our case notes. Case note number one, my super gal pal. Uh, I think we kind of have to take a moment to talk about Costa in this episode because we get a little bit of time with Costa finding out a bit more about him and his treatment by the other police officers. I kind of like this idea that effectively because Trish has kind of revealed herself to the bulletin and she's connected to Jessica Jones, now everybody in the police department is kind of pulling their resources away from Costa. Um, they don't trust him. They, they're kind of blaming him for effectively allowing the vigilantes to do the cops' work in the city. Yeah, he's kind of linked to, uh, or they think he's working with the mass vigilantes. It's almost... Um, Commissioner Gordon-esque in a sense, mm-hmm. uh, how, yeah, he, he, he's trying to get the body back from uh, Wappinger, uh, but uh, he can't because everyone's searching for this mass vigilante yeah. uh, and the resources are kind of being pulled from him. Uh, but they have some kind of uh, bit of evidence that they, they think uh, on uh, the dead body uh, that they, they pull from under the gazebo. And so, uh, yeah, he he is seen kind of having to manage a bit the chaos that's going on in, in the police department with all this stuff going on. Um, and certainly privately um, as well, him and his husband are aiming to adopt uh, a child, but he can't seem to ignore uh, the work that's going on. I, I love the fact that when he talks about his his personal um, issues or relationship, that Jessica immediately thinks that it is uh, a divorce or something, <laughs> when in fact him and his husband are, are looking to adopt a child from abroad. Yeah, I love that you just instantly assumed yeah. it's bad things, because it's always bad things in Jessica Jones' world. <laughs> yeah, I think his husband is called Russell. That's right, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just, it's a nice it's a nice turn of events. But as you said, John, it, it really just reminds me of Commissioner Gordon in the beginning. Where he's like, you're working with the Batman, then Batman's a vigilante. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> yeah. we're not going to give you any resources. And then by the end of this season, we're going to have, okay, we're going to get you to head up the uh, a lia- superhuman liaison department or something like that. Maybe. <laughs> um, like, there's not many more points on this mm-hmm. in terms of, like, yeah, it's funny to see Jessica just jump to both times, jumping to bad things, yeah. because that's where her mind goes. So it's like, I'm under stress, you're dying. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, it's nice. No, he's he's trying to he's trying to adopt a child from Africa. And instead we get um, work just constantly annoying him. Yeah. Although I have to say, if Jessica was doing this to me, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be giving her the, the old one too. <laughs> well, you know, in fairness to Jessica, we do have a threat saying that there's going to be a murder happening that day. And the only contact she seems to have that believes her is the is Detective Costa. Um, but yeah, she's calling him. And as he ignores the phone call, she texts him immediately going, well, I'm going to go there kind of thing. So uh, he can't really ignore Jessica. I think we've, we've definitely learned that over the last couple of seasons. Jessica's not one to be ignored, really. But uh, it is quite a difficult situation. I suppose what's interesting in this whole point as well uh, is what we talked about last episode, Chris, this idea that Trish can't, be out of the limelight even as this masked vigilante she goes and gets those photographs taken of her to put herself back in the limelight i love as jessica reveals to dorothy this photograph of her daughter on the front page she goes oh my god i wish she consulted me about the costume it's all over the place <laughs> yeah i think she, she goes oh no her costume is a disaster uh-huh. and jessica goes at last something we agree on but jessica meaning that 
just the fact that she's there yeah. covered up is a disaster for her because of everything that it, that's linking her and, and this new masked vigilante. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really good. What's the? It should have been based on cats because the internet is going gaga over uh, cats. <laughs> of course, a little Hellcat reference there from uh, from Dorothy exactly. Walker. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah, you're, as you said, look, we discussed this in the last episode, and we'll probably get more, we will definitely speak more about Trish mm-hmm. as the episode continues. Well, definitely. Um, but you can see the threads starting to unravel more and more from the beginning of this episode, and it's only by looking back at the episode actually in reflection mm-hmm. that you can start to see how how cleverly Scott Reynolds was able to just kind of pull threads apart while we weren't even noticing and then at the, by the end when he, the last thread is pulled and everything just starts to crumble mm-hmm. um, so it's just very masterful storytelling in that way in the way that so like this, this for example here Particularly looking at my super gal pal, Costa, like, I very much assume now that Costa and his husband may not get the child, for example. Oh, okay. Or the husband will um, resent Costa for running after his job on this one. Mm. And so, because he does, he leaves, he leaves the appointment and goes off to Jessica. So I just think like the, there's so much ramifications behind each little thing that we're only starting to see two or three episodes down the line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just very interesting. It's been a really good season yeah. so far for that. I think the great thing here as well is that uh, we, you have Gillian uh, waking uh, Jessica up in bed. I love the fact that there is, A, a bottle of whiskey by the bed uh, in Jessica Jones's room. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, whiskey watch. Uh, it's the same brand as before. Mm-hmm. Um, she's certainly sticking to a single brand of whiskey here, or bourbon, uh, I should say. It makes me feel um, that one of her clients might have paid her in a box of whiskey. It does, <laughs> doesn't it? It does feel like that. And Gillian, that she is able to patch through from the desk phone to her mobile. And Jessica, sort of in her drowsy wake-up uh, mode, is... You can do that as she, uh, you know, is onto the phone mm-hmm. uh, with Costa, and also then sees Trisha's uh, sort of full page spread on, on front of the uh, online uh, newspaper. So yeah, really good stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think with that, onto case note two, because yes, we have that rising threat, Salinger's threat on the Insta Yap video, yap, yappity yap, um, yes, threatening the death of uh, a victim. We have three people in his video, which they can only see, uh, I think, twice uh, before it sort of instantly uh, gets deleted. Mm-hmm. But w- someone within that video will die by 7pm uh, to show that these supers, that Jessica uh, can't save everyone. Exactly. Are you enjoying these new uh, social media platforms, Chris? It's quite, they are funny. It's a horrible mix of Snapchat and Instagram. Uh-huh. Um, Worse than both. I don't really see the yeah. point of it at all. You know, I think, what's the uh, the Snapchat one is, is 24 hours you get to have a video on there? Uh, this idea of watching something twice just sounds like it can only be used by mass murderers to, to share videos of their victims. <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> there has the been apps like this mm-hmm. already, which yeah. is like you get one view and it's gone. Right. Um, so it's just very 
it's interesting to see where the world goes. And when art starts imitating life, usually what we end up finding is that life will start imitating art. <laughs> so I can bet you bottom dollar someone is creating an Insta app. <laughs> Have you not registered the trademark yet, Chris? No, not yet. <laughs> I really should. But it is a really interesting idea here, this video from Salinger. He's telling Jessica what he's going to do. It's not a threat. It's not saying, stop me. It's it's saying, at 7 p.m. tonight, the world will find out what you've done. And actually, this video has zero to do with it. The video is of nothing. It's just a way to encourage Jessica and Trish to go and find him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a complete red herring. And I, I, I think that's... It just shows Salinger's threat to them. He is clever. Mm -hmm. He's hugely manipulative. And effectively, he has got them on this sort of red herring, um, chasing at at ghosts almost. Because, you know, he he crafts it really well. Um, You know, at 7 p.m., a life will end. Your hero charade will end where it began. You know, so this is, this plays out through the episode when, um, you know, they're, they're looking at the cobbles and then they see the GT Agrochemical, which is the the company whose truck uh, crashed into Jessica's family car and gave her her superpowers. Mm. So you know he, he he's creating this the, 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 these false trails for for Trish and for Jessica to to investigate. I mean, even to the point where um, I, I love the fact that he he's hired this random guy uh, who's got probably the the best gig in town. <laughs> I would say it's like two hundred and fifty dollars just to sit and watch TV. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the, the cops uh, think he's still in his apartment, but he's slipped out down uh, the fire escape. So. It's just showing how crafty he is and, you know, the extent to which he wants to prove that normal powered people um, can better the, these supers, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's a really interesting threat because, you know, certainly with what happens, it does show that no one is safe here. Absolutely. And I just want to ask about that guy that's in the apartment watching TV for a day. Did the ad also say must be five foot eleven and have a haircut like this and look quite similar to me? Here's my photograph because <laughs> he does look like a body double for Salinger, doesn't he? Yeah, that's hard to have. They've done it. It was just like, do you look like this photo? Exactly. Well, then you we can get a job. Um, so the threat was great. The way you did it, great. The the overall video, how it all worked out. Mm-hmm. It was a complete red herring, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, so okay. Because it, like I've been working it all back in my head, and I'm trying to go, was Dorothy in this video? Like, was she anywhere, or was it just complete, like just a complete misdirection? It's a complete misdirection, and okay, um, there's definitely moments in the episode where we're seeing Salinger uh, front and center on the screen, and the camera's pointing at him, and he's clearly following Dorothy. He's trying to find her in the city of New York. But these videos have no connection at all. In fact, there's even moments in this video. The woman that's in the video who has the really heavy black clothing and a really big hat and really long, dark hair. There's moments in that video where I was thinking, is Salinger dressed up as a woman in these scenes? Because it's such an excessively large costume that she has on that's covering up every identifying feature of this woman that I was like, is he choosing someone or is he getting someone to video him dressed up as a woman <laughs> in these moments like uh, but it's definitely yeah there's no there's nothing in there that could have told jessica or trish that he was going after her mother um unless they were looking really deeply as we see later on in the episode jessica does work out 
what he's telling her by the end of the episode. But it's not a clue as to who she should be finding. Okay, I get that now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, I, I pardon me, I, I didn't watch this for a second time. Because mm. um, just the, the way timing worked out. But part, mm. part of me was very much going, wait, was Dorothy in the background background yeah. of all the shots? <laughs> and we just never noticed. Um, because I, for whatever reason... Um, but no, okay, Grant, he's good to know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I thought that as well. I was kind of thinking, was there something that maybe it was actually Dorothy in that coat with the hat instead of uh, Mona Lee? Uh, but certainly, um, yeah, I, I don't think she was. I think it all was just this false trail. Um, I think what's really nice here, just to kind of link back to, you know, my super gal pal, um, is how Jessica and Trish uh, sort of team up here. You know, Trish is kind of like, we'll stop him. You know, she's all gung-ho and really wanting to do it. And like Jessica's like, no, no, I'll handle it. Yeah. Um, Jessica giving the quip to call her beanie girl, uh, which uh, <laughs> she can't, uh, you know, she is not to use again. Um, it, it's, a, it's a nice little moment as, you know, um, they, they both go on, on the different threads with um, Trish heading off to that breakfast location mm-hmm. uh, that had the woman and the the two men, uh, whilst Jessica kind of connects in with Costa uh, with the the randomer on the the sweetest gig possible, sitting in for uh, Salinger uh, as he watches uh, Animal Planet or whatever it yeah. was. Um, so it's really nice, and and then we have this Trish interrogation of the waiter who was in the <laughs> video as well, where he, he's like going. You're using these things from It's Patsy. You're using the tricks um, from It's Patsy as she kind of interrogates him, yeah. uh, which was really funny. Like, like, she's is, kind this, of, is this a hidden camera show? Yes, yeah, exactly. You do this on TV. <laughs> yeah, it must be a joke, right? It was just so good, <laughs> sort of reverting back to uh, Patsy uh, Walker and, and her her different way of using the tricks from that show to mm. try and get the waiter to divulge something but of course he's just clearing plates and you know it's like they paid by cash and mm-hmm. she's getting more and more aggro with him and he's like calls her kind of this child star psycho um you know as <laughs> she's trying to really push this and of course he's like it was a group of people that paid cash and were a host of other people that came in for breakfast so what can i tell you um, so I, I like that. I, I just like how Patsy started off all candy flossy and gradually gets to the point where she pushes the waiter so much that he's like Charles Star Psycho. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, really cool. Yeah, I don't want to get in too much about Patsy and her the her uh, Child Star Psycho mentality mm-hmm. as that we see brimming and brimming because we'll talk about it a lot more in a bit. I also talked quite a length with uh, Derek last week about this. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I do wonder, though, is it connected to the treatment that she got to get these superpowers? Remember, it's a similar treatment to Nuke, her boyfriend in the past, who had a problem maintaining his anger and maintaining his emotions. She got a quite similar treatment um, in order to get her superpowers. So I'm wondering if this is just starting to break through the surface here as she gets more and more frustrated if she can't achieve the goal that she wants to achieve we're seeing her start to break emotionally with people quite a lot so i'm wondering if it's connected to that uh, that treatment that she got yeah i i especially think so with the remember jessica's mother mm-hmm. had the rage issues as well that's true yeah um so and it definitely that was known to be part of it mm-hmm. and we'll probably see a little bit more rage from trish as we go on to the, to the rest of the episode yes we are going to take a quick break to get some water as i said <laughs> if that's all right 
Right back from our water break, let's get on to case note number three. A little bit of a detour in the episode. Let's get on to this discussion about Zaya and what she does for Malcolm. Our case note number three, Zaya's edited Malcolm's video to share it with Hogarth. Quite an interesting idea here that she is still protecting Malcolm, yet consistently says that she's there to support Hogarth. And it does feel like their relationship is on the way out, exactly as Jerry expected a couple of episodes ago when she got them to draw up the contract to have a relationship. Effectively, she knew this was going to happen, that their work was going to get in the way of their relationship. Um, what do you guys think of these of these moments here where, where Zaya is protecting Malcolm? First of all, damn, she's got some skills. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm quite proud of her for that. Um, but she then uses it straight away um, against him. Um, so it looks like... So you get the opinion that it's all done for out of love or devotion or something. But then the the meeting, post-meeting with Jerry and Zaya, I don't know. Like, she's using almost like blackmail. Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think she maybe increasingly realizes or it dawns on her that maybe Malcolm and her have a different look at, at this. Um, because I, I definitely think that her doing that editing, and, and maybe we can ask her to edit the podcast as well with awesome. those skills. Yes. Um, <laughs> she should be able to, to do it really quickly. It's like zin sang zoo and it's like done. Um, but... Uh, it's, it's just like, like she, me, John. It's just like me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's like she did that because, yes, she she loves Malcolm. She's in a relationship, but then she's kind of making it clear to Malcolm, it was to protect you. But I am in this firm to protect Hogarth and, and her job and, and her standing in that firm. Mm-hmm. And I think then, as you say, at the the meeting. Um, between Jerry and, and Malcolm and her, I think maybe she just realizes that, um, like she, she clocks that he actually knows her, um, you know, because she's edited out where he's actually talking to her and mm-hmm. there's that kind of, um, that look of it's you, Trish kind of thing. So I think she's kind of, uh, now holding it over him as well. So it, mm. it's kind of gone very complicated for Malcolm and Zaya really quickly. Absolutely. Um, I, but I think she is absolutely posting her flag to the door of, of Jerry, who is is taking this really as a personal affront as well. You know, mm. how dare this masked vigilante come in and, and steal stuff from her um, her offices and her firm. Yeah. You know, I, she makes that... Um, this is my legacy and it's your future. And I think that's where Zaya, you know, she's been told she'll soon have her name above that door. So, yes, she's completely invested here with Jerry uh, when she kind of wages war on the activities of these superpowered vigilantes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really think it's interesting here in the conversation between the two of them, between Zaya and Malcolm, where Malcolm effectively is going, I don't trust Jerry anymore. I'm not following Jerry anymore because she's not trying to stop a killer. And Zaya turns on him, basically, and says, well, I'm not trying to stop a killer either. That's not my job. Uh, it kind of speaks to how much Malcolm has spent time around Trish and Jessica, really, because they couldn't possibly, as human beings, allow a killer to be on the loose, whereas Jerry and Zaya seem to be able to. They are aware that he could potentially be a killer, but they feel like it's nothing to do with them as to whether um, they stop him or not. She, sa- she says to Malcolm, there are laws to stop people like that, that's not my job. I'm here to get a client off a criminal charge. That's it. Nothing else. 
So, war on superheroes. In a world post the incident, mm-hmm. is this really a good thing? If you know what I mean. Jerry's essentially going up against, what, someone who Captain America saved uh, from a falling building. And then that person sues and ends up in court with a big neck brace saying, maybe he didn't want to live. (laughs) Maybe it was his time to go. But Captain America took that choice away. (laughs) And now Captain has to pay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the kind of world that Jessica Jones is set in, definitely. Um, It feels like there's only ever been one major thing that the superheroes have been involved in, which is, as you say, the original incident in New York back in Avengers 1. Um, Nothing else really has been mentioned. And I think, I'd say probably the Sokovia Accords have been mentioned a few times, so that means that we have had the world slightly turn on heroes for the damage that they've done. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's definitely in this universe. It's not talked about as in depth as we, as we do on the podcast anyway, (laughs) but it's not talked about as in depth in the Marvel Netflix shows, but these things have happened and the humans or the non-powered people have kind of turned on these superheroic vigilantes particularly. Um, so yeah, I think we are in that place where someone like Hogarth can declare a war on superheroes effectively. Uh, for calling themselves superheroes and for trying to save people that may not want to be saved and for damaging people's property when they're pursuing things that the police should be involved in. Uh, it does feel like we're we're there. Yeah, yeah and I, I think it's still wound up in the context of Salinger. Uh, you know, he, he's still allegedly a, a, a killer. Um, okay, there is the gazebo body that may uh, shine some light on that, mm-hmm. given that there is, seems to be some forensic evidence from that. But at the moment, um, for, for Zaya and for Jerry, um, they are still working with this guy. I mean, they've kind of been forced into it because of what happened to Jerry with the, the suicide of Kith's husband. Mm-hmm. And now she's defending this guy... Uh, who maybe she has some doubts on, but ultimately um, hasn't been charged with anything yet and has been blaming Jessica Jones for beating him up and uh, harassing him and stalking him. Uh, So I think it's within that context as well um, that she's she's really pushed this sort of uh, anti-superhero thing or at least that public stand and statement whereby she is saying you know i have never um, and never will support the activities of vigilantes or try and get them off from being accountable to the law um, and so this is kind of almost a um she's almost forced herself down this route to have to declare that now she has this war on superheroes. Yeah. Um, and it's maybe something that she wouldn't have, have done. So I, I, th- I think that this is absolutely forced by how Jerry has handled this, uh, in the context of, uh, the Kit's husband's suicide and, and him trying to sort of dirty her legacy, mm-hmm. uh, as well as then having the opportunity to get someone who maybe she does think he did it. And certainly Malcolm does, but, um, he, he's this, this piece on the chessboard where she can, uh, remove that um, 
defamation effectively that has been put on her legacy. So this is all really quite personal, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why I I agree, Chris, it's kind of, it seems a little weird after um, they defeated, you know, if we assume that this is all connected, um, then it seems strange that the the suddenly anti-superhero given you know how they have protected the city of new york uh in the past so i think uh yeah i i think this is more that it's been forced uh and that's why all of a sudden it, it's it's making the headlines and so on mm-hmm. uh so yeah it, it, it's an interesting one because um this is absolutely of Cherry's own making. Absolutely. Kind of lucky that she lost that contract with Rand Industries as well, since she's been protecting a superhero at the, at the head of, uh, of Rand Industries for a couple of years. Lucky that she's lost the contract so she can say that she doesn't support activities of, of vigilantes anymore. Uh, never have, I promise, uh, apart from one guy. Well, I'm wondering, she knows all about them. Mm-hmm. She knows about Luke. She knows, like... Will by the end of this, she or in the next episode or two, she go, I'm coming after Luke. I'm coming after Danny. I'm going after you, Jessica. I'm going after. She doesn't know Matt's identity. She doesn't know Matt's identity, no. But she could say, in theory, I'm going after your friend in black or red down in Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Depending on what costume like, you're wearing that day, yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's like, you know, he, hey, look. When you're the daredevil, you can choose. It's like, I'm feeling a bit black today. I'm feeling a bit red, you know. (laughs) Hey, it's Pride Month. He may be feeling a bit like sassy and go out in the rainbow colored. (laughs) A bit like Batman and his rainbow colored Batsuit at one point. That would be awesome. Yeah, it would. I <laughs> he fears he strikes fear into the, the the underground in Hell's Kitchen, but in a sparkly way, so it's okay. <laughs> exactly. So let's move it on to case note number four, and this is kind of we're titling this Jessica's interview, mm-hmm. um, or Jessica makes big time. <laughs> um, but actually, before that, like we obviously there, there's a there's a there's a starting block for all this, which is the first video. Uh, on into the app has a man, uh, two men and a woman having breakfast. And as the process of elimination goes down, we still, they're still chasing the, the, the looking around, trying to find everything. And it's not until the second video from Salinger, mm. which was brought on by Jessica destroying his apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, which spurs him on to does exactly what she wants. It spurs him to a second video. Absolutely. And in this second video, we see he's following a woman. And it's the same woman from before. Now, cleverly, because Jessica's clever, I suppose, it's just she then watched it once and then goes, oh, God, we need to record this. Mm-hmm. So she records it for a second time. She's very smart, and isn't she, she, in this episode, yeah. definitely. There's some really smart things that she does. I love the trashing of the apartment, and she gets the video afterwards and goes, oh, vandalism isn't only fun, it is effective. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I love this tit-for-tat insta-yap uh, between Salinger and Jessica, mm-hmm. um, you know, where she's upending his apartment, but then, yeah, he's kind of forced to um, do this, this new video. And as you say, Chris, it ultimately... Uh, hones it down to just the woman from the the first uh, clip. I, I think as well, it's nice that you get that realization from Jessica as, as well that she had to push, you know, just too far with Salinger from the previous episode uh, when he's wrestling, uh, and it, it's his final screw you uh, to to her. Yeah. Um. How and you know, however bloody and murderous this is going to be, um, Jessica knows that 
she went too far here uh, in riling up uh, and rattling Salinger. Absolutely. I love when she's talking to Costa and goes, he might know that we have a body and we found it in Wapager Falls and Costa's kind of going, why would he know that, Jessica? Like, well, I might have told him directly to his face <laughs> when I spoke to him last. I might have actually rubbed it in his face, literally. <laughs> ah, hilarious. But Jessica ultimately goes in front then of the camera to mm-hmm. really... Uh, try and protect um, the this woman to try and get her to come out from wherever she is and to to warn her that she is in danger. Uh, with Thembi Wallace as well, back from WJPB TV. Exactly, yes. When did we see her last, guys? We saw her doing an interview back in Luke Cage Season 2 with a uh, contender for Councilwoman of New York. With Black Mariah, yes. 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 Yeah, yeah. So uh, lovely to have Tammy Wallace back in the show. I really like her attitude. She really comes across as that as that uh, digging reporter. Um, she discusses the fact that they've never gone live on TV doing an interview with someone before, but because this was such a big scoop and they had Dorothy in the corner, they're going to go live at this one time with Jessica, and Jessica uses everything in her power to get her message across. Uh, just before they go live on air, I love that <laughs> you hear Jessica kind of going, um, this is all about Salinger, he's out there going to kill someone, and Thembi goes, allegedly, and then turns on the live the live camera, basically. So Jessica's already on the back foot the minute it goes into the interview. Yeah, absolutely. I love the sound check as well here, where she, <laughs> she goes, can you give us a sound check? And she goes, can someone get me a glass of whiskey? No rocks. Uh, I love that that is her sound check. Mm-hmm. And the ever-dutiful Gillian uh, kind of you know, rolls her eyes and goes over to pour her uh, a whiskey uh, just before uh, going live on air. And mm-hmm. Dorothy has to kind of race in to sort of whisk this away from her as they literally go live and into the interview. Uh, Dorothy manages to get a, a nice swig of whiskey <laughs> uh, as well. And uh, so this is, this is kind of good. It's like you see, um, you know, both Dorothy and Trish kind of, you know, praying that she doesn't screw this up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that this kind of gets flipped on its head in that it doesn't go the way that Trish or Dorothy kind of were coaching Jessica. Like she just basically comes straight out and flips the whole thing saying, you know, Salinger is a murderer. He's going after this woman um, and, and really calling it out straight as a die Um, but I I love the fact that afterwards you know you'll be on every clip show all day says Dorothy you nailed it Um, (laughs) I really like that Dorothy Um, obviously a Netflix watcher with her (laughs) nailed it nailed it (laughs) Um, but you know she's definitely um, she's happy that Jessica caused all this controversy because yet she got her message out there definitely I I like Trish watching uh, the channel as well answering it like a media trained person when when Thembi Wallace is asking you know what would you do if you found Salinger and you see Trish in the bedroom going I would turn him over to the police because I'm a helpful citizen like everybody else and Jessica's kind of saying oh no I would totally beat him up basically <laughs> uh, she just has these moments where she like takes photographs out and puts them right in front of the screen and Thembi has to take them away from her and put them <laughs> off kind of going you know the network doesn't say that Salinger is a serial killer that's Jessica Jones's opinion only kind of thing uh, really really good fun with the scene yeah no I really enjoyed this um this whole charade um in that to a degree Tembi Wallace did not care what Jessica was saying mm-hmm, absolutely like she they had they had already made up their decision that this was all alleged and they kept pushing 
Jessica back, basically trying to flip it, saying, "Well, no, you're you're the superpower person coming after this standard human. Mm-hmm. Well, woe is this human? Um, why are you going after them? Why are you being this bad person?" So it's very interesting to see Jessica still lose it. Let's be fair. She's not the, the smoothest operator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it's just the way... The, not She didn't pick up the chair and throw it out the window. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think so this is... a modicum of decorum. <laughs> a little bit. But I think this is one of the things that always strikes me as great with Jessica Jones. She hates BS. And there's nothing worse than like a PR person who tells you this is how things have to go. Um, that's not what she's there for. She's there to get a, a specific message across. We kind of understand from Thambi Wallace and her her body language with Jessica that, as you say, Chris, she doesn't care what, what is coming out of Jessica's mouth. What she actually wants to know is, who is this masked vigilante that got the front cover of the bulletin? Who are they to you? Who Do you know them? She wants to get that scoop from Jessica, and Jessica has wants nothing to do with that at all. She just wants to get this message across. If you are this woman with black hair, there's a serial killer coming after you, and that serial killer is Salinger. Get yourself into the police station. <laughs> I love the phone call with Costa afterwards as well, where he's going to go. And you've got every dark-haired woman in New York <laughs> in yeah. the local precinct turning themselves <laughs> over, and now everybody hates me, you know? <laughs> and he's really worried that she's kind of losing her mind, that she's making up this whole thing, you know? Um, we see that she does track down, as you mentioned earlier on, John, she does track down potentially the victim uh, at GT Agrochemicals. This was the place where um, her family had crashed into the truck, uh, killing all of her family and sending Jessica to the hospital where she was experimented on and got her powers. That is a really deep cut back to season one, I think, where we where we first learned about that. But it's interesting that Jessica would make that connection and that Salinger would make that connection and know that much of her history that it would have something. You know, she's trying to work out from the second video that she gets as to what connection this could have to her past. You know, is it is it videoed in her hometown? Is there cobblestone streets around where she first grew up as a kid? This kind of stuff. But actually, it turns out to be connected to the van that her family crashed into. That's That seems like he's done some serious research or she's trying to fit this narrative into her past. <laughs> That's what it feels like. You know, what could possibly GT Agrochemicals have to do with me? Oh, yeah, that was that was the van that we crashed into. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really nice moment where they, you know, Jessica makes that connection with the the officers there as they head to um, the GT Agrochemical uh, offices. Mm-hmm. She sees the van and you have this slow momentum of them trying to find Mona Lee. You have them being sort of confronted by the security guards because they think, um, again, they're trying to beat up all the um, the guards and that maybe they're here to attack Mona Lee, that it, it's something completely different. It has that one cut uh, to Salinger putting on his mask, um, and you know the, the 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 shot of it. It kind of could be in this industrial setting. You just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's really nicely done because obviously they they get to Mona Lee and she's effectively saved. The police come um, and Jessica's 
out front with all the press, but they seem to also agree with the assessment that uh, of Costa that Jessica is losing her mind because nothing's happened to this Mona Lee. There is no evidence that Salinger was there, even though we've seen that cut to him. And I, I really like that, and it's only really uh, when we see later Trish um, heading over to her mum's that we see the same corridor that she's walking through to get to her, her mum's uh, apartment. So th- this was really, really nice. But again... Trish is given more exposure here as she drops in to try and stop the press from harassing uh, Jessica Jones. Uh, and then Jessica has to jump them out of there. So certainly that link of these two is very much um, nailed here as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And again, is that part of the reason why Salinger has done this he he realizes that there is a second person and now he's just got the footage of that and he knows this or he knew it anyway um and hence um maybe he's put two and two together and come up with the right number because he knows that it is trish walker well he's smart he can definitely do maths that's four john i know (laughs) i have to just call out you did mention that there but i have to just call out this moment where jessica jumps herself and Trish out of the surrounding press. That's one of the first times we've actually seen Jessica do this kind of super heroics in public in front of the press. It's very rare you actually get to see that. She usually is, you know, running down a laneway and jumping up on top of a building kind of thing out of the side of the public. This time she actually uses her powers in front of the press right there, um, showing kind of, I suppose, how much pressure she's under right now uh, to allow her to do something like this i think yeah but it's it's just a really cool scene we just don't get to see it very often nice no, to have a- it absolutely yeah. yeah but we've held off long enough let's get on to our final case note salinger's actual victim this is a shocker and it is i love how it's written to be honest because i love you're seeing jessica work out exactly what's happening what salinger was actually talking about what he was pointing to you know um trish realizes that the woman is dressed quite similar to Jessica, so he's changed his M.O. from men to someone that looks similar to Jessica. That's how they find Mona Lee. Jessica starts to work out as he go as she goes, well, if he knows me, he knows I only have a few, pe- a few members of my family, and Trish is one of them. And then she starts to work out that, oh, no, hang on, that means he's going after members of my family. Um, I do wonder whether Trish handing over her TV show to her mother earlier on in the episode gave that indication to Salinger who he should be going after. I think he had worked out already that it was Trish and Jessica who were the two people side by side. I think he has enough evidence effectively that the two of them being close together and Jessica having one and only sister, um, well, that means Trish is probably this master vigilante. And to get at her, I'm going to go after her mother uh, now that he's seen her on screen and her kind of making that huge amount of praise on TV to her mother that she's the one that taught her everything she knows. You know, it feels like this is Salinger's way of getting at Trish is to go after her mother. Absolutely. I mean, in so many ways, this is just massive. Um, I really was not expecting Mm -hmm. uh, Dorothy to be the one uh, taped to the chair and and cut up in in that way. And I mean, she is... Um, she is dead when Trish arrives. Um, you, you can see the blood pooling on the floor. I mean, it does look like torture. It really seems as though Salinger has gone out of his way to make Dorothy suffer mm. here. You see the cuts on her leg, her arm. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't look as though this went uh, quickly in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, and again, as I say, I, I love that moment of Trish arriving 
and you see the same corridor that Salinger had been walking through as he put on his his, his hood. Uh, you see the the realization from Jessica back at Alias Investigations, and it, it all crescendos to this really um, shocking moment where you know one of the people that's come all the way through from season one, Dorothy. I mean, you love to hate her, um, but you can't deny her absolute comedy um, and interest within this show and so it's a huge huge blow for for trish um and it is such a shocking revelation Mm -hmm. um and i I have to say i i thought it was going to cut there and then when you see that trish races to salinger's you know you hear jessica um saying trish i'm coming over don't move um you hear malcolm calling the police um and yeah trish has gone straight round to salinger's and you have that like again it's shock after shock because Sanja looks like he is about to get it from Trish with mm-hmm. one of his kitchen knives. Um, and I suppose that is, you know, with that fade to black, that is the big cliffhanger. I mean, such good TV. Um, I was like, oh my God, I could not believe it. Mm-hmm. As much as I loved to hate Dorothy, I, I think you're right. She, no matter how much you hated her or loved her, you still enjoyed her on screen. So this is this is a shocking twist that they they you're unhinging the family unit by destroying the the, the matriarch. Mm-hmm. So when you find when Trish does find her, there was part of me going, okay, she's not dead. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was like, she's just in time. Um, she's bleeding out. They'll find the faint pulse. Um, but she won't be able to identify Salinger, etc., etc., etc. No, she's gone. Yeah. By the sounds of things, yeah. you're right. Like seeing all that co- coagulated blood dried in, like she's gone. Now, I do question whether he continued his similar mo. I was thinking that she as is, well. Yeah, yeah. Did she repent? Did he? Does he have photos? Mm-hmm. I was wondering about uh, that. And how painful would that be if? For example, and we don't know what happened in the next episode, but if Trish has killed him and then the evidence is found of, you know, a a camera footage of her mother in her final moments, has he set the whole thing up the same way as he's done all of his previous killings? Or is this a specific, I'm going to murder her mother to get back at Trish and it's just a standard murder with no, none of the previous uh, elements that he's done in the past? I think he's always tied up the victim. We saw that with Eric Mm -hmm. and we saw it with the the other uh, victim as well, right in episodes two or three or whatever, uh, where he's cleaning his apartment up. Yeah. So I think he's always tied up the the victim. I think the the thing here is he hasn't done the spring clean afterwards. Mm. So the, the MO has changed in that respect, and maybe because it's also not a man. Yeah, absolutely. And also, he knows that Jessica has the information about the... Uh, first murder that he did back in Wappinger, so maybe he's not. He doesn't feel like he needs to be as careful as he was in the past because it's all going to come crashing down. He's going to take them all down. You know, I had this idea after watching this episode that potentially his new mo is going to be going after everybody that's of the main cast of the show. You know, he's taken out Dorothy right here, so in the next episode he's going to go after Zaya to get back at Malcolm, for example. Is he going to go after Kith to get back at Jerry? You know, when he finds out that she's not actually working for him, she's working for herself. She is a privileged person. You know, this whole MO that he has, that he goes after people of privilege, people that are using their advantages for themselves and not giving back to the world kind of thing. 
that they've gotten steps up that other people didn't get. Well, that applies to pretty much every character in this show. And that makes me worried for everybody when you see a character like Dorothy can be killed off right now. Well, there's a lot of other people in the show that can be taken out and it makes me worried for all of them. That's exactly my fear. They did say that this was the end. Now, this was before, obviously, they knew it was fully ending. But Melissa Rosenberg did say that she wanted a definitive end to the season, Mm -hmm. to the chapter. So this is, if you imagine that these three seasons are volume one of Jessica Jones live action. Mm -hmm. Like, there's going to be a definitive cutoff point. Yeah. And when you're doing a definitive cutoff point... No one is safe. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I I am fully expecting that we might leave Jessica the way we found her, which is basically alone. Because I feel that maybe we lose Malcolm. Maybe we lose Trish. Mm-hmm. Maybe we lose Costa. Maybe. Um, yeah. yeah. Everyone is fair game. That is, of course, if Salinger gets out of that room. Uh, and right now, as it faded to black at the end of this episode, I can't see a way of him getting out of that. I can't see even Jessica making it across the room to stop Trish in time. She's got the knife aiming for his neck as Jessica jumps across the room. Yeah, I mean, it is that fantastic cliffhanger. Does she, doesn't she, you know, slit his throat? Mm-hmm. I think as well, I mean, for me, the only thing I would say around here that was felt slightly dud was Salinger coming back to the apartment after um, skipping out on the police. Oh, yeah. Um, it was, I think, his threat to the officers on, on the door, it didn't quite ring true to me uh, because ultimately they put him under surveillance and yes, he might still be a victim, but why did he do that? If he's got nothing to hide or if he needs to, uh, surely he can uh, go and and do his activities. Mm -hmm. So it just adds suspicion to him. Um, And I'm surprised that maybe certainly uh, with what's going to uh, transpire with Dorothy, whether that ultimately means that he gets put into prison maybe for his own safety if he survives uh, the knife uh, slice to his throat, uh, if he manages to um, get saved from that. But, yeah, I cannot wait for for the next episode Mm -hmm. uh, to see what happens. Absolutely. Such a great um, sort of last 15 minutes of suspense, just horrific... um, what's happened to Dorothy um, and then how it all goes right back to Salinger again. Is this what he was hoping to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, is this his purpose? Jessica says he never does anything without a purpose. What happens if Jess doesn't make it? Mm. It's an interesting one, isn't it, Chris? Because when you think about it, we're on episode eight of a 13 episode TV show. And with that knowledge, <laughs> What else is actually going on in the show right now other than Jessica's vendetta against Salinger? Because that actually is tied into everything else that's going on in the show. And if Salinger dies right here, there's really nothing further to explore, nothing significant. You know, I presume Trish would be arrested and put in prison. That might be one element of it. But is that enough to sustain the rest of the series? What I thought is that what if, which is what if Trish does kill him? Mm Mm-hmm. That's his final act. Then that spurs on Hogarth to go on the full anti-vigilante. Trish goes on the run uh, in New York and they have to try and find her. I don't know if it will be strong enough. It all depends on how they do it. I'm with you. Like it's the potential's there, but 
I don't know, as you said, I don't know if you could survive, because we always say that, I was talking about it back when episode six, what, like, who is the villain number two? Because mm. um, they like, do some of the shows do like doing that two-part villain. Yeah. Trish hasn't twisted enough yet mm. to become villain number two. She's in grief. Like, her mother was killed by a serial killer. Yeah. This is always the thing we hear about uh, in a lot of comic books, which is like that, if, what What if they snapped? Yeah, yeah. She hasn't snapped yet. Well, she's right there. Right there she's the on the edge. She's on the black. edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I mean. I suppose I feel like Jessica's going to stop this moment from happening, and that will cause a bit of a rift between herself and Trish, because she didn't get the ability to take out her anger on Salinger potentially and that kind of gives a bit more of a story and with Salinger still being alive it kind of gives a a, a nice um, back and forth between Jessica who has to kind of protect Trish by protecting Salinger and Trish wanting to kill Salinger I kind of see that playing out a little bit but we won't know until we see the next episode so I don't want to completely ruin my thoughts uh, by guessing something that isn't going to happen (laughs) as I usually do (laughs) Is there anything else about the episode? Any other notes about the episode that we haven't discussed at all? Nothing major from my side. The only one, just because we're old, um, I definitely <laughs> wanted to just point out Gillian's uh, comment about not single white female in Jessica kept her safe. Um, that's just a, a, a 90s movie, I think, or late 80s, early 90s movie about a, a woman who moves into an apartment and takes on the appearance and personality of her housemate and then tries to kill her housemate. So uh, it's just a little gag on, on an old 90s movie, but I love how it's used by Gillian as, at least I didn't single white female you, that made me, that kept me safe from the killer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, that was a good moment. I, I The only thing I have is there's a great line that Jessica says uh, when asked, do you have anything other than the job? And she says, yeah, a good bartender. <laughs> Which I presume is Gillian at this stage, pretty much, yeah. as, as well as maybe the the local bar uh, and the barman behind there. Mm-hmm. But with that, then let's get on to our defence. Derek, do you defend Jessica Jones season three, episode eight, aka camera friendly? I absolutely loved this episode, but the second time through. I had to pause it before the murder of Dorothy was revealed because I didn't really want to watch that scene again. It's so well done. You can tell that a lot of the people in the show were involved in some of the really good seasons of Dexter um, because they know how to set a scene so well, like a really horrible scene for a character that's, you know, loved and hated. You know, we've we've talked about it in various ways when we found out the way that she treated Trish growing up. We know that she's not the best person in the world, but the character that Rebecca De Mornay brought to the screen has always been interesting and always been fun on screen. And even in this episode, she's been great. So a shocking episode and probably the biggest cliffhanger we've had so far on any of the shows as Trish is about to sink the knife into Salinger, our big bad for the season. Like That's a significant cliffhanger when it goes to black right there. And I have to tell you guys, let's go and record the podcast before you get to see the next one. Um, I love that. I love having those kind of episodes. So this is a very, very high defend for me. John, what about yourself? Do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones, season three, episode eight, aka Camera Friendly? Oh, I do defend this episode. I think um, this has been chugging along really nicely. And I feel this is a culmination of some really, really good storytelling uh, that that's been going on since episode one so i give this five child star psychos out of five nice um i really like this i i thought the ending of it it, it made me 
sad. It upset me uh, that we've lost Dorothy. Um, and yeah, she's the person you love to hate, but she comes out with some cracking one-liners and her acidic tongue to, to Jessica. That to and fro is really, really good. I think Salinger just... Um, sort of playing Jessica like a, a fiddle, really, mm-hmm. here, uh, as well as going after uh, Trisha's mum, you know, to really put this final cliffhanger where it fades to black, where, you know, if Trish does kill Salinger, then obviously Trish is a, a vigilante on the run from the law and now a murderer on the run. And, you know, how does Jessica see that? She's already had to do that with her mum in, in, in season two. If Jessica prevents Trish from killing Salinger, then there is all manner of emotional nuclear fallout from from that between these two characters who have only just gotten back together mm-hmm. uh, after Trish uh, killed Jessica's mom. Uh, so, yeah, this is uh, really interesting. I hope that they keep Salinger in. I, I think um, his death should come a little later, but I cannot wait to see episode nine on this so absolutely defend this episode i think all this build up to that last 15 minutes was superb uh, so yes uh, uh, defend absolutely from from myself mm-hmm. chris do you defend jessica jones episode eight aka camera friendly i do um this is the best episode of the season so far mm-hmm. um on many levels um we get we get the detective, we get the action, we get the cliffhanger. Um, it's just fantastic. Not too much more to add outside of what both of you have said already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only thing is I, I'm just interested to see where they go with this. Absolutely. It has one or two ways. It's Salinger's dead or Salinger's not dead. Mm-hmm. And based on that, it spins and spirals from there. Uh, right now we are in Schrodinger's cat territory. <laughs> Salinger is both alive and dead at the same time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right behind that black screen or on our Netflix, which we'll be going to directly after this episode. Excellent, that's our defense for this episode. Let's get on to some feedback, guys. Yeah, uh, we have some feedback in on episode six from Ronaldo. Uh, he says, love the curveball reveal of Casper's encounter with Salinger. What a lucky, unknowing near victim. Absolutely. That's the guy that tried to kiss Salinger. Yeah, yeah, that's the chef. It was sexy time. Yeah, (laughs) chef uh, who liked kinky sexy time, but Mm -hmm. Salinger certainly didn't. Um, (laughs) Yes, uh, uh, that unknowing near victim. Yeah, great. I love the look on Casper's face, actually, when he realizes how close he came to... death uh ronaldo says salinger is so good as a villain smart physically able to handle himself and a calculating killer i'm liking costa in this series too his alliance with jessica is great although i liked mahoney it's good to see another detective working with these heroes mm-hmm. uh, yeah absolutely I, i'm enjoying costa a lot actually yeah, he's really good, um he, he, he's really good and i think Mahoney as well, he got promoted up the rank. So I think he's less sort of plodding the beat and, and going out into the field uh, as Detective Mahoney. Absolutely. <laughs> We've also got some feedback from Robert Phillips. He had this to say. Oh, Patsy, what a way to save the day. Enjoyed the road trip and the emergence of Dark Ninjina and the discovery of Malcolm's traitorous but angelic axe by Zela and, of course, the wrestling. <laughs> but my fate bit... 
the small town sheriff, Officer Velasco, who clearly arrived 30 years ago after being driven out of the NYPD by the rampant homophobia. She's never quite knew how to fit in, but fell in love with the barmaid and then spent the years fighting demons and teen delinquency until she was taken much too soon by hereditary heart disease. The sheriff continues to work the community as memorial and devotion. <laughs> wow! Wow! Brilliant. Okay, that's a, that. That's a. You should be working there. I think you may have missed your calling, Rob. He he went on to say one of the, her side stories, barely pointed out, is the snowblower incident, where she knew damn well who stole it, but she made sure Donnie knew she knew, and that if the old couple who he pinched it off didn't have their past cleared and leaves heaped whenever they needed it she would be back (laughs) the old man's advancing confusion meant the blower wouldn't have been safe in his hands for more than another winter anyway and sometimes law gives you the spirit not the words of right fantastic bob i absolutely love it this is as we mentioned on our facebook group this is uh weaponger tales or weaponger falls tales the new series coming from netflix centering on the small town sheriff of officer velasco brilliant bob <laughs> yeah absolutely great stuff it shows uh, how well drawn the characters in jessica jones are when you can make up an entire backstory and future story about a character that's on screen for about <laughs> three and a half absolutely <laughs> yeah thank you so much bob thank you so much ronaldo for the feedback really good we also have some episode eight uh, voicemail from steve brown mm-hmm. hello tv podcast industries this is steve and i uh, just wanted to send in a little bit of feedback i'm not sure what episode you guys are on currently or, or next i just finished listening to your review of episode six of jessica jones and i've just finished watching up through episode eight and uh oh my goodness uh so good i uh I don't want to spoil anything for you guys because I know you're watching it slowly. I'm trying to watch it slowly, but man, uh, as we get towards the end here, it's, uh, things are ramping up. Uh, I did have one little piece of criticism that I wanted to find out what you guys thought of, and, and hopefully maybe you can help me understand it better, is since episode four, the I Have No Spleen, we have not seen Jessica suffer any kind of consequences of the splenectomy or the stabbing, um, does she just have a, a better healing factor? I know she's commented in previous seasons that she heals fast, but uh, she can't regrow, regrow a spleen, and maybe her other organs are are acting stronger without... I don't know. It just seemed like they made a big deal out of all the medications she had to take and everything there in Episode 4, and we haven't seen anything about it since i'm just a little disappointed in that so wonder what you guys thought and uh, if i'm wrong help me understand if maybe there was something that maybe i just missed uh, can't wait to listen to you guys next and uh, talk to you later thanks so much steve i can see you are just as shocked about episode eight as we are um the death of dorothy kind of hits everybody uh, we have watched it now obviously interesting question from steve there in regards to jessica jones having no spleen effectively since episode four and she doesn't seem to be having any effects at all he, you are right steve there has definitely been some mentions in the past that jessica heals a little bit quicker and she doesn't get hurt as badly as other people i think in the show they mentioned that you don't really need a spleen is effectively what she's what she's saying because all of her other organs uh, take over from the spleen. But yeah, it seems to be very quick healing from Jessica, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I suppose we we can't necessarily 
see her taking her cocktail or of drugs. And I suppose with the relationship that um, has developed between her and Jerry uh, and how sort of tense that's become because Jerry is um, looking after Salinger and now with the masked um, vigilante, then I think that was probably the area where that could have been pulled out more. Yeah, so I think in a sense they kind of have dropped it, but I wonder if it will play out a bit later on in any way. Mm. I'm with you on that. I think potentially what we'll end up seeing is it's going to be pulled out in the next episode or the episode after that. Um, so she'll be like, I don't know, walking down the street and suddenly get dizzy again. And it's like, you've been pushing yourself too much. Maybe. Well, yeah. yeah, true. Yeah, maybe. Let's see. Yeah, it feels like there's definitely should have been a moment over the course of the last couple of episodes where we just at least are take your pills in the morning or have Jillian have them out on her desk for her or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but they've been more focused on giving her her whiskey to drink uh, <laughs> welcome back to this episode john i forgot to mention earlier we were joking about the fact that when you were off for two episodes we had no whiskey watch and then this episode on point number one you mentioned that jessica has a whiskey right beside her bed you are li- you are living for that whiskey watch yeah right? absolutely <laughs> i mean i was away obviously traveling we we went to um a an institute that deals with hops in, mm-hmm. in the Czech Republic, <laughs> and and that whole presentation was done with a nice cold glass of of beer. Fantastic. So um, yes, whiskey by the bears, beers in meetings and presentations. Uh, great ideas, I think. I like it. I like it. I'd say you could last one meeting with a beer, not like five meetings in a row with a beer at each one. <laughs> that would not be a good day by the end of it. <laughs> well, no, that's true. Yes, you you wouldn't want a string of meetings where the water has been replaced by beer otherwise yeah you would be staggering out at lunchtime to uh, try and get ballast back in the system <laughs> absolutely by the way thanks of course to steve brand for his voicemail and everybody else that sent the feedback uh, steve is a host on pounds to pixels who've also kicked off their jessica jones coverage i think they do two episodes per episode so they're a little bit behind us at the moment as we're recording but i think they'll probably be ahead of us by the time we put this episode out, actually. So if you want to listen to Steve's coverage, uh, you can hear him over in Pals to Pixels. Uh, if you want to send in any feedback to us as we get towards the end of this series of Jessica Jones, you can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or join us over in our Facebook group where we put up spoiler posts just after we've watched the episode so you can discuss your thoughts about each individual episode with us as you go. You can find us over there at Facebook.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast. Absolutely. And please subscribe to the podcast over on any good or evil or drunk or sober podcast catcher. Remember, rate us and leave a review if you want to. Uh, Sharing the podcast is sharing the love. Yes, thank you so much, everybody. We'll be back with our Jessica Jones coverage, episode 9, a.k.a. I did something today very soon. But most likely you'll be hearing our dulcet tones right after this. With our spoiler-filled, our swinging, our sensationless, spectacular review of Spider-Man Far From Home. So watch this Space Troop in mm-hmm. I can't wait to see that. It's going to be really good fun. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. Yes, thank you so much, everybody, and toss me to you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much, fellow defenders, for joining us. I'm frequently asked, do you have anything else in your life other than the podcast? I always reply with, yeah, a good bartender. (laughs) Uh, But after drinking myself under the table during work, uh, I will be back to speak with you again soon. Bye.
the good news is the quicker we get through our podcast about episode eight, the quicker we can get on to episode nine and find out what happens to Dorothy. <laughs> Absolutely. Walker. Let's get on to case note number one. <clears throat> oh my god, my voice is gone now. It's the heat. It is. But it was a complete redhead herring, right? Do you want to give us a red herring again? again? <laughs> my mouth is just salivating from like just like I'm trying to just drink the water. It was a complete red herring, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Quite an interesting idea here that she is still protecting Malcolm, yet consistently says that she's there to support Hogarth. Hogarth? Yet consistently says... Hogarth! <laughs> uh, with Thembi Wallace as well, back from WJPB TV. Yes, yes. <laughs> I said it. You did. WJB TV. See, I can't do it now a second time. WJPB TV. Uh, really, really good fun with the scene. <sighs> Chris might have zoned out. Yeah, I did. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's it's literally hit about 30 in this room. I have the boiler in here as well. I forgot. Mm. Yeah, no, I really... Oh, too loud. Yep. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed this. Um... I mean, it does look like torture. Uh, Salinger really has seemed to uh, make Dorothy... um... What's the word? Like what we are in this boiling hot room. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If she does kill him, then Jessica has to presumably protect Trisha in some way if she doesn't kill him who's Trisha <laughs> sorry <clears throat> welcome back to this episode John I forgot to mention earlier that we were joking about the fact that we didn't have you on for two episodes and therefore had no whiskey watch whiskey watch oh my god I'm Stewie from Family Guy <laughs> <laughs> whiskey watch welcome back to this episode John I was joking about the fact that we had you off uh, episodes for two of them that's not even a sentence. John's back with an item of clothing removed. You guess which one. I'm going shirt, most likely, hopefully. Yep. <laughs> okay, phew. And one sock. <laughs> Why just one sock? That makes no... <laughs> He's doing it slowly, Chris. <laughs> Don't worry, when the video comes back on, even if I am fully nud, uh, I'll be under the desk. Don't worry. Exactly. I'll make sure he doesn't stand. I won't stand. <laughs>